Father, we just thank you so much. You, you have said that we are to rejoice in you. And again, through your word, you say that we should rejoice and that we should be glad. And we are so thankful and so thankful for who you are and what you've done in sending your son Jesus to, to die for us. And we're so thankful that for those of us who know you, we can come together and praise your name and worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I just pray as we look into your word, you would bless it, that our hearts would be receptive and that we would be instructed. We would allow you to do your work in us, Lord God. And so we just commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you this. What do you value? Uh, Different people value different things, right? We have what people call values, right? And those values are our paradigm in a sense of what we weigh, the things we, we think that are important, things that we don't. Uh, what do you value the most? What do you value the most? What is the most important thing in your life? Well, today we're going to see and look at and continue our look at the marks of a true believer. And we're going to see what the Apostle Paul valued most. We're going to see that there should be a change in our hearts where we see the great treasure of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for some of you, you've seen that when you've come to faith in him, but yet we can be dulled by the deceitfulness of sin. We can be dulled by the things around us, our circumstances. And I pray that those of you who are saved here today have a fresh value of our Lord Jesus Christ and and what he has done for us. Turn with us in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're continuing our study of this incredible book, and I hope you've been blessed by the sermons I have. It's just such a blessing to prepare them, such a blessing to, to go through them. What a wonderful book. And Paul said, I consider it right to remind you of these things. And so we come to our passage here. The Apostle Paul is writing a dear group of believers, the Philippian church, and he is writing a church that he founded about 10 years before. It's about 62 A.D., He's in chains in Rome, about to go before Caesar. He could live or die, but inspired by the Spirit. We see in chapter 1, he believes he will continue on. But uh, in this book, we've seen his, his, uh, his, his heart towards this Philippian church. Thankful that God had brought about work in them. Thankful and confident that God would complete that work that he started. And then he prayed for them that they would have real discernment in, in the context of, of the knowledge of Christ. They would be able to make the right choices that Christ is magnified. And we saw in his circumstances, uh, the Philippians shouldn't be discouraged, but encouraged. You see, because when God's behind things, it's an encouragement. And God was allowing the Apostle Paul to suffer for the gospel. And Paul said it had actually brought about a greater progress of the gospel. So he rejoiced. And within that, he he brought about and shared his his heart that he wanted in all things Christ to be magnified. And then he addressed the Philippians and their hearts and their attitudes. And within that, we saw the Apostle Paul was was wanting them to, to not be disturbed by those who were in opposition. He wanted them to stand firm and strive for the gospel, knowing that they're not being disturbed is a sign to their opponents of their destruction and of the Philippians' uh, salvation. Then we came to chapter 2 where we saw that the Apostle Paul, based on the things that we all in Christ possess together, exhorting them to unity, to like-mindedness, based on seeing others as more important than yourself. That in everything, you, you, and you, and you are more important than me. And that's how we make our decisions as believers. We think of Christ as supreme, but ultimately the believers around us as super more important. 
were to not in any way be have vain glory or elevate ourselves, but see others as important. And we're to have the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ, which was very clearly that he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. He didn't see equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But, but he did, but he did empty himself. And then he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. He became a servant and he served us to the point of death by obeying the Father's will for us. And therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Tremendous reality. And then we had the first command in our book, do all things without complaining and arguing. Everything, not one thing should a believer argue about. Not one thing should we complain about. And the reality within that, in the context of that, it's because God is what work at us. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is doing a work at us. He is working out what is going in, right? He's working that out in our behavior. And then we saw some incredible examples of faith to follow. The Apostle Paul first, and then Timothy and Epaphroditus. And coming into chapter 3, the Apostle Paul again says, I consider it right to remind you of these things. Peter said the same thing at First Peter, to remind you to say these things. It's no burden and it's a safeguard for you. And he said, beware, beware, beware. And it was of the false guys, the bad guys who come along and, and add to uh, what Christ has done, divert you from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And then he gave the example that we are the true circumcision. We are those who are truly the Lord's, who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. And it's from this point we come to the Apostle Paul's testimony, where he shares his mindset before Christ, his mindset when he came to Christ, and then his mindset afterwards. And we've seen the first two. We're going to review those, but we're going to look at his mindset afterwards today. Again, let's take a look at Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 8 through 11. Not 8 through 11, we're looking at verse 8, actually, but we will read through that. And I want to back up a little bit because our passage is really tied together. And so I'm going to read up through it, and then we'll look at our passage, and I'm going to read past it, and we'll see that context of where we are at today. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord... To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. And then what we saw last week, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh... If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is found in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And then our passage for today. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's what we'll look at today, but I want to read through what connects with this. 
and may be found in him, having not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is a tremendous passage. Tremendous passage that helps us refocus. You see, we get all our bearings off, right? We get uh, sidetracked by the things in life, the things that are going on in our lives, and we need to refocus and get our focus on the things that are the most important. Now, let's review what we've seen the last time. Remember, the Apostle Paul's mindset he had before Christ. He actually had good earthly reason to be confident in the flesh. He had good reason from an earthly standpoint to put confidence in the flesh, and we'll explain that. The Apostle Paul is speaking, and we saw in the end of verse 3, that true believers put no confidence in the flesh. They don't weight their, their confidence in, in man and man's abilities, or oneself and oneself's abilities, or, or anything about that. They put their confidence and trust in Jesus Christ. But then he went on to say, hey, if, if I could, here, here, here's what really would happen. Here's the reality here. Here's the reality of that I could, I could put so much confidence in the flesh. Notice his mindset before. He says, verse 4, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. In relationship to those false teachers, they were Jews probably, who were adding into the work of Christ. They would certainly agree with Christ came, trust in Jesus Christ, but they were adding things to do rather than trusting in Christ. You see, as we receive Christ, we are to walk in him. We're to walk in him the same way we received him on day one when we came to faith. We believed in him. We believed his truth and we obeyed it. And he called upon us to turn to him and believe in him. And we obeyed. We trusted in him, the obedience of faith. And then that works out in our lives. And so he says here, but if anyone had confidence, I far more than that group of guys, those false guys, those guys you're to beware of. I far more. And then he's going to give his list of things that he did put his confidence in. And he starts and he says here, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. This guy was circumcised the eighth day. He was a purebred Jew. He was not a proselyte. He was not one who came to it later on circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. He's an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin, the primary tribe, the one that was exalted in Israel's eyes besides Judah from which Christ came from. A Hebrew of Hebrews. He was, he was raised uh, uh, from, a, from a family that was devoted to the Lord of the Bible. And he was raised to be one also. A Hebrew of Hebrews. So Paul had relied on and had great reason to, worldly speaking, to rely in his religious heritage. His religious heritage. Hey, if you want to rely on a heritage, I got the heritage. I got the heritage in relationship to the God of the Bible, right? What's found in the law, right? That's what he would say. And then we saw that he also had reached the pinnacle of religious accomplishment. We see in the end of verse 5, as to the law, a Pharisee. Now, we know that he was trained under Gamaliel. He was advancing beyond his contemporaries for his age. And then we know not only was he qualified, in a sense, from his heritage, and he had reached that pinnacle of being a Pharisee, 
And then we also see that his zeal was unmatched. He was, in his own mind, sincere, sincerely following Yahweh, the God of the Bible. That's what he would say. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He went after those whom he deemed as enemies of God. He sincerely believed that. He was zealous for God. But yet he was zealous without knowledge, and he was wrong. And we know his zeal led him to persecute the church and chase Christians and, and oversee them being put to death even. Acts chapter 8. You see, unfortunately, you can be sincere, religiously speaking, and be sincerely wrong. So Paul had confidence in his heritage. He had confidence in his religious accomplishments. He was zealously sincere. And his religion, notice in verse, end of verse 6, he was faultless in regards to the word of God, the law, he says here, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless or faultless. Hey, if you looked at the law of God, you looked at the outside of the cup, the apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, he was clean as can be like the other Pharisees. But as he would find out, and as we see in Scripture, he would come to recognize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That you can clean the outside of the cup all you want, but the inside, if it's not changed by Jesus Christ, it's full of dead men's bones. And so he was on the outside fully uh, clean, but on the inside, he would realize later on, on that road to Damascus, 25 years earlier, he would meet the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He would meet him, the glorified Lord And within that, he would understand what he would write later on in Romans chapter 3. Because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You see, Paul had it all backwards. Or Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, had it all backwards. But he met the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read this last week, but let's read it again. Let's look into Acts chapter 26 where the Apostle Paul is recounting his testimony and salvation. He's on trial for the gospel. And he's recounting the reality of what Christ has done for him. Acts chapter 26, verse 12. While thus engaged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only of the things which you have seen, but also the things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. He was sent to share the word of God, which opens people's eyes so that they might turn and be delivered from the domain of darkness, be delivered from their sin, and receive the forgiveness of sins. So Paul had a, had a conversion. He truly came to faith. And we saw his mindset beforehand. Although these guys do this, I have much greater reason to put confidence in the flesh. We saw that list of stuff. 
But notice his mindset at conversion. Verse 7. But whatever things were, were continually habitually in the past. That's what, how the verb is. Were gained to me. The, the words are accounting words and gain or loss. You know, you think about it. If you think of the stock market, I gained this or I lost that or I totally, I lost everything, whatever, or gained it or whatever it might be. He says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. The ledger sheet spiritually that I thought was a gain, I have counted as, as, as damage, as loss, as total loss. The word was used to speak of a, the total loss of a ship in a, in a shipwreck. I have counted, that word speaks of making a decision after weighing the facts. Considering, thinking, having opinion, regarding, esteeming. It's the same word we have in James. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Make the mental determination to understand the truth and then respond differently. I have counted, he says here, whatever things were gained to me, I have counted those things as loss. Total damage, loss, total destruction. It's, they're worthless as we're going to say. You see, Paul continually used to see his religious heritage, his sincerity, his, his actions, his external righteousness. He continually saw it as gain in the column of his relationship with God. And when he came to Jesus Christ, he recognized all of that was actually loss. And maybe some of you have been religious all your life. You've done the things you're supposed to do. You've followed the Bible, per se. But you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ. You may elevate those things. You may say, this makes me right before God, but it doesn't. And when you come to faith, you need to see all of that gain as loss when you come to faith. This is a true conversion. The Apostle Paul truly came to Jesus Christ. After weighing the facts, the reality of, of what he thought was gain, he saw it all as loss. And later on, we're going to see he sees it all as rubbish. Everything in light of knowing Christ. And notice it's for the sake of Christ, because, or literally because of Christ. It's because of Christ my attitude has changed towards my former confidence. You see, you can't come to faith in Jesus Christ without being fully confident in him. You can't come to him if you have confidence in anything else religiously. And his former confidence was in those things, but now he saw all of that as rubbish, as trash. You've got to throw it out. Throw out those religious systems in your heart and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And that's the same way we walk day to day. We recognize that, that our own abilities, our own strength, our own uh, talents, those things, are nothing before the Lord. We trust in him and we allow him to use us from the inside, certainly. But we trust in the Lord. We trust in him in the same way we did when we came to faith. As you have received Jesus Christ, so walk in him. So with that in mind, we've seen the Apostle Paul's uh, conversion. We've seen what's happened to him. He saw it all as loss. And I tell you, if you're putting anything else, confidence in anything else than Jesus Christ... You're going to experience great loss with the things that you think are a gain. You know, if you save your life, you're going to lose your own soul. You give up your life, your sinful life, which is just a lie anyway, in a sense, because it doesn't provide true joy or happiness or, or life. You give that up. You receive everything. You know, you may know the Lord, but does the Lord know you? Does the Lord know you? We're going to see that it's a relationship. It's a relationship with the living God. And so let's take a look at his current mindset. His current mindset. I'm going to read verse 7, but verse 8 is what we're going to look at today. 
But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Notice the Apostle Paul continually counted as loss everything, as we're going to see in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And we're going to see that nothing actually compares to the value of truly knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, what's interesting is in the Greek language, if you could read this, you'd see something very interesting. You'd see a compound of five Greek particles. Allah, men, un, ge, ge, and kai. All these things that you can't see here. You only need one of those to transition, but he's got five of them. You could say it like this, but rather, yes, indeed, therefore, even. <laughs> there, there's, there's something important here. And there's only a few other places where this is used. The Lord uses it to speak of his word. You know, those who follow him, that they obey the word of God. But yet, even then, he uses this word. So here he says, but yes, rather, indeed, even therefore, I count all things to be total loss total loss the things that he had just mentioned he certainly includes we'll look at that he certainly includes those things but here he adds the term all he's including his former religiousness as he's already counted as lost but now it's present tense i presently continually count all things as loss on the value system of my heart in view of the surpassing value of knowing christ so what does he mean by the things by the term all things? Well, again, it does include his former religious self-confidence, his self-righteousness, all those things. But actually, there's more to it. Well, what does he mean by the term all things? All things. You know, people that don't have the Spirit of God can get all mixed up and start seeing it all wrong. What does he mean by all things? Well, middle of verse 8, we're going to see in detail in a minute that Paul... Uh, shares first of all we'll share in general but then we're going to see in detail what it is in light of a comparison here he says more than that i count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing christ jesus my lord in light of the surpassing value of knowing christ jesus paul says everything else is loss everything everything in light of the surpassing value of knowing christ jesus but what does that mean what does this mean the surpassing value of knowing christ jesus that helps us understand what all that loss is this term surpassing value comes from the greek word two words put together hooper echo which speaks of holding above the holding above our surpassing value it, it was used back in chapter three in which we are to hold others above ourselves we're to see them as more important than ourselves. It's used later on in Philippians 4, 7 to speak of the peace of God, which holds above or surpasses all comprehension. It's far above that. And so what's the point? Even everything goes in the lost column in view of the overwhelming, surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. But what does he mean by that? 
You ask a lot of people, do you know Jesus? They say, yes, I do know Jesus. I know Jesus. But the question is, does the Lord know you? Do you have a relationship? On that day, he'll, many will say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and this and this? Matthew 7. He'll say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I don't know you. Depart from you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness. And so here, what does it mean to know Christ? Well, if we understand this verb translated knowing here, it can actually be helpful. But actually here, it's not even a verb. It's a noun. It's a noun here. Now, although I prefer the NASB translation, here I believe the King James in the portion of this gets this more accurate. They write, of the knowledge, surpassing of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. But what does he mean by knowledge here? We need to understand this word, translated knowledge. In Greek, there are three basic words that are translated knowledge, and, and each one has a crossover. So you've got to be careful you don't dice and slice it up too much. They can cross over, and each one can speak of knowledge in a general sense. But there are nuances in the Greek language. And for the first word is oida in the Greek. It speaks of, in a sense, an intellectual knowledge, knowledge gained by experience or observation, knowledge gained by perception, okay? The other one is gnosis. You know, we get that, we understand that word. It speaks of relational knowledge. Knowledge, but in the context of a relationship, not always, but most of the time. And then there's epinosis, speaks of full or, 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 or full or true knowledge. And those are the words that are usually translated knowledge in the Greek New Testament, or actually in the, in the New Testament from the Greek. And so with that in mind, from our passage here, and remember, there are crossovers in all those. So don't take it too, too, too narrow. Take it as the Lord intended. The passage in our passage, the knowledge of Christ Jesus is gnosis. And I believe he's speaking of relational knowledge of Jesus Christ. Relational knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not that the Apostle Paul did not know about Jesus intellectually before he was saved. He said he chased those people that were following the Christ, right? The way, right? He knew about Jesus. He knew about his followers. He had knowledge of Jesus Christ. He had knowledge. But he didn't know him. He didn't know him. The Apostle Paul, when he was confronted by the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, he said, who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, right? He didn't know him. You know, if your wife calls you and says, who, who, who are you? You say, I'm Greg. Oh, yeah, I understand. I recognize you, right? He didn't know the Lord, but he had knowledge of him. You see, in a relationship, knowledge, and relational knowledge is, is integral in that. You know, I can say something to the effect of, I know the president, Right? I know about him. I have knowledge concerning him, but I do not have a relationship. I cannot call him and relate to him in the context of a relational knowledge. Now, that knowledge that I would have of the president or someone else that I don't personally know is not like the knowledge I have of my wife. I know her. We have a relationship. And how is it we grow in a relationship? We spend time together and we communicate with one another. Our hearts share with one another, right? That's how we relate to one another. And the same way is how we relate with the living God. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have his spirit and we can now understand his word. He speaks to us through his word. We gain knowledge about that person. When you were dating, whatever it might be before you got married, you wanted to know this person better. So you communicated with them to understand who they were on the inside. 
And the same thing with the Lord. As we communicate with Him, we pray and rely on Him. We, we depend on Him and we listen to His Word. We grow in that relational knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We grow in that knowledge. And so it's crucial that we're in the Word of God. And see, we can know Jesus and we can grow in that relationship because He's opened that up to us. But the reality is some will not grow in that relationship. They will choose to not value that relationship as much as they value other relationships or things in this world. Some Christians and their value system will not see Christ like Paul sees Christ here. And maybe that's you today. And the Lord wants to change our thinking because he wants to have an intimate relationship with us. But it's sin that's in the way. First of all, when we come to faith, but also as we walk with him. You see, we can think we know him, but if we're not communicating with him truly, listening to his word, truly responding, truly a heart that is yielded to him as he speaks to us through his word, then we're just fooling ourselves. You see, we can know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mentioned this passage earlier, but let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. There are people who will say, I know Jesus, in a sense. They believe they have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Some of you today might be in this camp where you believe you do, but one thing is still in the way, and you can't have a relationship until that thing is out of the way. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That means you've got a changed heart and you're, you're obeying the Lord. Okay? He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. They're talking like they know him. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? In your name perform any miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, you can't have a relationship with the Lord of heaven without having your sin dealt with. You have to have your sin forgiven. And once your sins are forgiven, the door is open for a relationship. We have the Spirit of God within us. And then we have the opportunity, if we value it as such, to get to know the Lord. And we want, and when you want to get to know someone, you want to know what do they like? What do they value? When you get to know someone, In the Word of God, we see what God desires. We see His will. We see His values. We see what He wants. And we get to know Him that way by going in the Word and allowing Him to speak to us through that. And we grow in that knowledge of our Lord. And the Apostle Paul came to the right conclusion, as we're going to see, that the knowledge of Him, that relational knowledge and a real relationship is more important than anything else. Than anything else. He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, as he was praying in John 17, he shares, and this is eternal life. He's praying to the Father, that they might know thee, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's life, having a real relationship, a relational knowledge of the living God. He has opened himself up to us, the God who gave himself for us. 
Eternal life consists of this relational knowledge with the living God and the person of Jesus Christ who brought it forth and brought it and made it possible by his death on the cross. And nothing surpasses that. He says, more than that, I count all things back in Philippians 3.8 to be lost. Not only the stuff I counted as lost when I got saved, which I had to, I needed to throw all that religious junk out, but I count everything now as loss in view of the surpassing value, the hooper above value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The Apostle Paul knew Jesus intimately, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King of Kings. Jesus, God who took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Christ Jesus, he says, Paul says, is my Lord. He's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of all. In view of the surpassing accounts, rightfully counts everything is lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All is lost. Nothing compares to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus. Nothing compares. Nothing compares. And we need to change our value systems because we have a lot, I believe, that is much more valuable than knowing and walking in a relationship with the living God knowing him and walking with him day and day throughout the things of life, throughout the relations of life, throughout all the things we do in life, throughout all the circumstances in life. That's where we can know him even better when things go bad. We're going to see later on, Paul was talking about the fellowship of his sufferings. That's where you really start to know Jesus better, when you're actually obeying him and going through difficulties. You'll see that. So the Apostle Paul says nothing is better. So let me say this clearly. Salvation is about knowing the God who created you. It's about knowing Christ. Man is separated from God because of sin. Man is not in a relationship with God because of sin. But when we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, we are forgiven and cleansed. We come into a relationship with the living God in which we can now know him intimately. And just like any relationship, it takes time to grow in that relationship but you're never going to grow in it if you don't value it, if you don't see it for the worth that it really, truly is. So how do you get to know somebody? Spend time with them. You communicate. In the context of confession of sin and prayer, we listen to his word. We learn more about him, who he is, and what his will is, what he desires, and what he's done. Now, some people are self-deceived about their time with Jesus. They kind of make up in their mind a relationship. You know, you hear people who think they have relationships with people and they're self-deceived, you know, in a physical sense, right? They think they might know somebody and really well, and they really don't. They're just kind of making it up in their heads. You know, don't do that with Jesus. Because the only way we know him is not through our perception of him, but through what he says about himself and reveals about himself in his word. Don't fool yourself. It's only through the word that we grow in relationship with him. Turn again. You had this read earlier to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Hey, that's desire. Grace and peace in the sphere of this relational knowledge of Jesus. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through, through what? The true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. 
He's granted us everything we need through the relationship we have with him. You see, when I trust and abide in Jesus Christ, I have everything I need. When I believe his word and I allow it to work in my heart, I have everything I need. Through this true relationship with the Lord, through his word. And he says here, for by these he has granted his precious and magnificent promises. Then skip to the end of the book, the end of the book of 2 Peter. You might remember when we went through this. 2 Peter 3, verse 17. After speaking of the scriptures that people distort and the danger of that. People take the difficult passages and twist them. Peter closes the book out this way. He says in 2 Peter 3.17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, the bad guys are going to twist stuff. They're going to twist the word of God. Be on your guard lest you be carried away by the air of unprincipled men and you fall from your steadfastness. Don't let the twisters mess up the word so you fall in your relationship with the Lord, right? Right? But instead, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. Are you doing that? Are you growing? You can come here every day and grow in knowledge, book knowledge. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's got to be related to the Lord. You may know the word back and forth. You've heard 900 sermons. You may know it. But the reality is, are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? A real relationship with him. The bad guys get you in the stuff, even the word stuff. But not in the God of the word that speaks to you through his word. He says, to him be glory both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. You see, God has given us everything we need. And it's in the midst of a context through the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. Everything you need for this life is entwined in a relationship with Jesus. Trusting him, obeying him, listening to his word, learning about him, loving him with all your heart, mind, and soul. Seeing him as more valuable than anything else. Than anything else. The Apostle Paul would pray this, basically, in in Ephesians chapter 5, because we need to grow in it, right? Right? We don't automatically become close to someone when we meet them, right? We learn, and we learn about them, right? And here, the Apostle Paul prays for that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And so you've got to start to set your priorities in all the spheres of your life. That Christ is the priority in those spheres. And it includes all those areas of life. It includes those. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you, and your love for the saints. Hey, you're true believers, Ephesians. You've got faith in Jesus and that love for the brothers and sisters. You love them, right? You see them more important than yourself, right? He says here, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And then he starts to talk about what he's praying about. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, now you could translate this way, spiritual wisdom and revelation. That's really the best translation. Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That God would give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And it comes to the word of God. And it comes to the word of God. But it has to fall on soil that is good. It has to fall on soil that's not sin-soaked. It has to fall on soil that is confessing sin. It isn't holding things. It's got to fall on good soil. So when the Apostle Paul 
came to Christ, he counted those things before his loss. But then he says, now, more than that, more than that, to all those words, to, to make it so important. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, even but more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And notice, guess what? He's not just a talker. He's going to say, guess what? I did lose it all. I did lose it all. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. You see, it's one thing to say I'd give up everything for Christ. It's another thing to actually lose it for Christ. Right? It's one thing to say, I'll give up everything for Christ. And that's the right heart, if it's truly there. It's another thing to say that and actually lose it. And actually lose it. Paul not only saw it as loss and not valuable, but he lost it. He actually lost it. Notice what he says in the end of verse 8, or middle of verse 8. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I counted all as loss, view the surpassing value of knowing him, and I've lost it all. I've lost it all. The term suffered the loss speaks of forfeiture. I forfeited it. Could have held on to it. I forfeited it. I counted his loss and I gave it up. I forfeited it. Now, he says he was caused to. The tense was passive. He didn't do it on his own. It was caused to happen. You see, when you're willing to do things in Christ, God sometimes brings those circumstances about, right? If you say, I'll give up my life for Christ, you know, God may cause you to give up your life for Christ. You didn't give it up. Not Don't go out and do it on your own. But he may bring those circumstances around. You see, I'll give everything to the Lord. Well, yes, you may be willing to, but he may cause that to actually happen. Do you see what I'm saying? And the Apostle Paul here says it in a way that I have suffered. I didn't cause it, but it has happened to me. It has happened to me. The loss of all things. Loss of all things. Now, you have to lose everything to be saved, religiously speaking. You've got to do that. You can't be saved if you're holding on to religious stuff. You've got to go to Jesus with a clean heart and a clean slate. But when we come to him, Paul says now he's lost all things. But what does he mean by that? What does he mean by he's actually lost all things? What can we gather from Scripture that is possibly what he is speaking of? Well, a couple things. He probably lost his wealth, his position, his prestige, his family, his security, and even his health. Things that people who don't know Christ strive for and things that believers should, don't, should not strive for but do, by the way, at times. We're to trust the Lord. We're to look at the lilies of the field. We're to rely on Him. We're to seek first His righteousness. But sometimes we seek uh, ease, wealth, position, prestige, family, security, health, whatever it might be. Remember, Paul was called Saul of Tarshish. Tarshish was a town in which you couldn't be a citizen unless you were wealthy. And if you lost your wealth, you weren't a citizen anymore. It was wealthy. Came from a wealthy place. He certainly lost that. He didn't have money. He knew how to be without and with, with fully supplied, right, later on. He had the Philippian church helping him out financially. Certainly lost that. Certainly, usually almost every Pharisee was married we see the Apostle Paul was not married. The assumption is either his wife died or left him when he became saved. He talks about having the right to take a believing wife later on. 
We know that he was very influential. He was increasing beyond his contemporaries, religiously speaking. He was on the ladder to the top religiously, which was political in Israel also. He had wealth, power, and privilege. And obviously he has forfeited that. But he didn't see, he doesn't see it as a gain. See it as loss. It's a loss. Wealth, power, and privilege is a loss in view of knowing Christ. It's a loss. And you gotta see it that way. He probably forfeited friends, having been a Pharisee. He forfeited his health and safety. We know that. Just read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's not very easy for what he was doing. He was, he was always in danger of rivers, robbers, and, and beaten, and all kinds of stuff, right? Right? But he saw it rightly. If you see that rightly, you can rejoice and sing praises in jail. If you see Christ Jesus as the primary focus in obeying him and him being glorified, you can praise God in that. And he did, and the jailers came to faith, didn't they? But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, even also, rather, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. In coming to Jesus Christ, we must be willing to lose our lives to gain Christ. You must not hold on to your life. If you hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you give it up. And what do you give up? You give up the, the sinfulness of your life, the things that were pleasurable for the moment, but bring death and sorrow and pain and judgment. You give those up for temporal suffering, for the glories to follow. The Apostle Paul didn't look back. He didn't look back. I press forward, not looking back. He's sharing this so that we can have the same mindset and see Christ as valuable as he did. His temporal loss, as we will see, was actually gain. It was gain. It's gain. There's a cost to coming to Christ. You're, you're called to lose your affection and trust in everything pertaining to your old life. To lose that. Everything the world relies on and values, we're to just let go. We're to let go. The loss of what they value, and the loss of that doesn't compare to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And let me ask you this, because this can sneak in. Do you look back at the things that you forfeited and are endeared towards them? Are you tempted? For your life before Christ, there were things you enjoyed that you know weren't right. You look back and maybe endeared towards that. Maybe the ease that you thought was ease, but it really wasn't because it's a, it's a lie, right? The wealth that whatever it might be that maybe you don't have because you're following Jesus Christ. Whatever it might be, the difficulties you have in relationships that you didn't have before. Do you look back to that or do you count it, that forfeiting as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus? Do you remember Lot's wife? She was told not to look back upon Sodom. But what happened? She was unwilling to lose her old life. She had an endearment towards it, and she looked back, and after being warned, she lost her life. Look at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 28. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. 
Speaking of judgment coming, by the way. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were, they were living lives apart from Jesus. Just doing the things humans do apart from Jesus. But on the day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let not one of you who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house go down to take them away. Likewise, let one who is in the, who is in the field not turn in the field turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Luke chapter seventeen thirty two. Remember Lot's wife. What was the issue with Lot's wife? You see, she wanted her life. She loved it. And she turned back. She was warned, by the way. She was warned. Whoever seeks to keep his life shall lose it. Whoever loses it shall preserve it. What about Matthew chapter 10? Turn to Matthew chapter 10. We have the same truth. You see, if you're seeking to have security in this life, the money, whatever it is, the way the world does, you've got to lose it. Jesus is our security. Jesus is our security. He's a good God. He'll take care of you. Get to know him, and you will be fine. Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim in the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body, soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows, those are birds, sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Uh, Matthew ten thirty two. Everyone who shall confess me before men, I shall also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against his against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. And he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. He's not saying you go and make trouble in your family, but he's saying when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there's going to be trouble. And you need to be willing to forfeit those things, even things that you love. You can't keep it. If you keep it, you lose your life. Luke chapter 9. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. You know, an example, I hear people that stay in bad churches because they love the relationships. They love the relationships, but they don't love Christ in an effort to be obedient to Him. Not wanting to give it up. To give it up. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And He was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever wishes to lose his life for My sake... He is the one who shall who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and f- loses or forfeits? Loss, right? Forfeits his own soul. Paul, rather than forfeiting his soul, forfeited the stuff and gained Christ. 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in glory, and the glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Remember Lot's wife. We can become endeared again to the things that we actually were saved from, and they get in the way. Whether it's security, whether it's uh, finances, whether it's friendships, relationships, not that that's wrong. What, we can become endeared towards that. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. You see, brother and sister, we're new creations in Christ. We need to press forward, not looking back. Don't look back at the life Jesus died to spare you from. And we need to be warned if that's your continual habitual heart. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. Paul saw everything in this loss. And he actually lost it. He actually lost it. And if your heart's there, then when it goes away, you'll even when you go through those difficulties, the Lord's with you. The Lord's with you. It may not go away, but you've got to be willing to. Willing for it. Follow the Lord at all costs, no matter what happens. If everybody leaves, follow the Lord at all costs. Follow the Lord. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And this world is passing away, and also its desires or lusts. But the one who does the will of the Father, or God, abides forever. Got choices to make, brothers and sisters. And then for those of you who don't know Christ, you've got a choice to make. You've got a choice to make. Notice back in our passage, Philippians 3, let's finish up. Philippians 3, verse 8. He says, More than that, I count all things as loss and view the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And notice what he says. And count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The term rubbish is a very descriptive word. Scubalon. It's not like scuba diver, but that's not what it is. Scubalon. It speaks of rubbish or refuse. It included the excrement of humans or animals. It spoke of worthless, detestable things. It spoke of half-eaten corpses. It could be translated dung. Useless, smelly, detestable waste refuge. I consider all that stuff I lost as useless, detestable, smelly waste. In view, in light, that I might, that I might gain Christ. Now the implication is, if you don't see it rightly, you're not going to gain Christ. First of all, in salvation, but in as you grow in your relationship with Him. Because He talks about this as a purpose. In order that I might now, that's what He's talking about, now gain Christ. That I might gain Him. You've got to see everything is lost in view of Christ. You've got to see the truth of what's really going on. The worthlessness of those things versus the worth of a relationship with the Savior. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. The Lord Jesus told two parables about this. He told two parables about uh, the kingdom. But the kingdom is what's behind the kingdom? A king. And it's King Jesus. It's King Jesus. Matthew chapter 13 verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. It's like a hidden treasure, buried treasure, which a man found and hid. 
And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. He sells all that he has and buys the field. It's so valuable, everything I have does not compare to that treasure. I have a value of that. I value that. Now, I, don't, I value the things I have differently in light of that treasure, right? And notice what it says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. You have to value the relationship with Christ rightly before you give up this other thing. You've got to see it rightly, and you'll want to give up everything. He says, and I've counted it all as worthless rubbish in view of gaining Christ. You've got to count some stuff as rubbish, brothers and sisters. You've got to do that. You've got to start seeing things rightly in light of who Christ is. In order that I might gain Christ. The, the statement implies that the process has begun but is not completed. The verb is in a mood that speaks of possibility, but with another portion connected to it, it speaks of the goal. The goal. I continually count this stuff as rubbish that I have gained Christ. So folks, what are your values? What's your value system? What do you value the most? What do you see as gain? What do you see as loss? What is your values? The Apostle Paul made it clear And from his testimony, we see that the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord, is more valuable than anything else. Are you willing to see it that way? Are you willing to see growing in the grace of him by hearing the word and and walking with him in prayer and, and learning more about him from his word, learning about his will, his desires, his will for you, wanting to please him? Is that your desire? It's worth more than anything. It's more valuable than anything. We have the most valuable thing ever. And we can possess it and grow in that if we're wanting to see the other stuff as refuse. What things do you need to see differently? What things smell that you need to say that smells and see it that way? What things? The Apostle Paul said nothing compares to knowing Christ. Well, some of you don't know Christ. And that's because sin's in the way. And you're going to experience total loss when you die. You can gain stuff now. Some of you may be very talented, whatever it might be. You may be smart. You can gain now. You can even gain the whole world. But you lose your own soul. Turn to Christ. Trust in Him for salvation alone. And what about us believers? Do we see Christ, a personal relationship with him, as the most valuable thing in our lives? We need our minds renewed. We need to renew them every day that we would. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for your word, and it is so wonderful to hear it. I thank you for uh, your son Jesus And, Father, what he has done for us and that you have opened up through him a relationship with you and with him. And, Lord, I pray that you will help us see and value the things of this life correctly in view of your son Jesus and the relationship with him. 
I pray that you would illumine for believers here things that are in the way of growing and gaining Christ. And for those who don't know you, that they would recognize the foolishness of their ways, how they will lose everything, and they will turn to Christ, that they might gain Christ. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.